The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. It seems like every week there's a new low in the Australia-China relationship. From trade disputes to diplomatic arguments, these have been some of the biggest news stories of the year. But it wasn't always like this. So this week we're taking a look at how Australia's ties with China were established, how we've thrived together and how we've recently hit some very choppy waters. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Before we get into current issues between Australia and China and what that means for us, let's take a brief walk down memory lane to understand how our relationship with China started and grew. And it's the gold rush era that saw around 40,000 Chinese people settle in Australia by the 1860s. And there was official Chinese representation in Melbourne in the early 1900s, something that many Chinese wanted because of the introduction of the white Australia policy. But that Consul General's office seemed to be looking more at trade than advocating against racial discrimination. And then, Claire, there's a lot that could be said about how China went from being led by an imperial dynasty to becoming a nationalist government in the 1920s to a communist regime in the 1940s, but that's not our purpose today. So let's start at 1949, the year when the People's Republic of China was established with Chairman Mao as leader. Australia did not recognise this new government. No, Australia's formal position was that the previous government that was kicked out by the Communist Revolution, that's the Republic of China that was set up by Chiang Kai-shek, who was in exile in Taiwan, was the legitimate government of China. It took more than 20 years, but Australia's position on China changed with the election of the Whitlam government in 1972. In fact, it started a little earlier than that. Gough Whitlam visited China in 1971 as the opposition leader. And one of the first things that his newly elected government did in 1972 was to formally recognise the People's Republic of China under Mao. Australia did that some years before other Western nations did the same. This then laid the foundations for rapid growth of diplomatic and economic links between Australia and China. Let's take a look at how the relationship blossomed next. While trade and the money side of things is a significant part of the relationship between China and Australia, and we'll get to that in a bit, there was some work to do to get on the same page. While China is not that far away from us geographically, in the 1970s it couldn't have been further away from Australia culturally. Over the last 50 years or so, both nations have put significant effort into promoting cultural awareness and mutual understanding, whether it's music, the arts, sport, tourism, formal visits. The aim was to establish understanding and trust through personal links between Australians and Chinese citizens. And of course, a lot of Australians' understanding of China has come from their migration here in quite large numbers. Per capita, Australia has more people of Chinese ancestry than any country outside of Asia. Australian residents identifying themselves as having Chinese ancestry made up about 5% of the population at the 2016 census. That's more than 1.2 million people. If we take a look at our diplomatic relationship, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade says both sides acknowledge that Australia and China have different histories, societies and political systems, as well as differences of view on some important issues. 
That's right. And there's an agreement to work together on our shared interests that was formalised in 2014 with Prime Minister Tony Abbott and the Chinese President Xi Jinping agreeing a comprehensive strategic partnership. It hasn't always been smooth sailing in the relationship. Some sensitive topics like human rights have been really big issues. Whether it was the Chinese government's crackdown on pro-democracy protesters in Beijing's Tiananmen Square in 1989 or recent concerns about its treatment of the Uyghurs, who are an ethnic minority in the Xinjiang province, we've flagged our concerns, even though China hasn't welcomed the intervention or the criticism. Regardless of some bumps in the road, China has become crucial to Australia's economy. It's our largest two-way trading partner in goods and services. It accounts for 26% of our trade with the world. The latest numbers from DFAT say two-way trade, so that's imports and exports, reached a record $235 billion in 2018 to 19. That was up 20.5% on the previous year. Our exports accounted for a lot of that, $153 billion worth. That was driven by demand for Australian iron ore, coal and liquefied natural gas. And that was up from $73.8 billion in 2008. It's a lot of eggs in one basket. It is, but it's come from a natural gravitation towards China for Australia with this huge and growing market just to our north. China has changed significantly in the last 30 years. The proportion of China's total population living in urban areas rose from about 19% in 1980 to about 60% today. And Australia has been well-placed to help them build their cities, their infrastructure and industries with our steel and coal and LNG. That resources boom helped Australia's economy surge until the late 2000s and it largely protected us from economic shocks. Like when the global financial crisis hit in 2009, we were one of the few nations able to continue to grow their economies and not go into recession because of that ongoing demand from China for our mineral resources. And it's a big market also for our agricultural products. We have a reputation for quality and for safety. And so our meat and seafood, grains like wheat and barley, as well as wool, dairy and wine have done very well in China. And we've had great success pitching Australia as an education and tourism hub for Chinese citizens. And so with China a crucial part of our economy, it's no wonder many are nervous after our relationship hit the skids in some dramatic scenes this year. Let's get into it. Things have been a bit bumpy between Australia and China this year, Claire. You could say that, (laughs) yes. It was not long after the Morrison government called for an investigation into COVID-19's origin earlier this year, a move that Beijing labelled as politically motivated, that China warned we would be economically punished. And that's happened with tariffs put on Australian barley. And then China suspended some major Australian beef imports and launched investigations into our wine industry. And it's also warned warned students and tourists against travelling to our country, calling us racist. And there's been other diplomatic issues too. In June, an Australian man was sentenced to death for drug smuggling. Cheng Lei, an Australian citizen and anchor at a Chinese state TV network, was detained for very vague reasons. And there was a run-in with two of our foreign correspondents having to be rushed home. And Dr Yang Henjung, an Australian citizen and pro-democracy supporter, remains in detention with no access to legal advice after he was seized last year. 
Australia's push for that coronavirus investigation is focused on as the start of this, but actually we've been in a rocky period for a bit longer than that. China has become more forceful in our region in recent years, and that push has caused some issues. Like many nations, we're concerned about the way China goes about things because we don't share the same civic values. There's been accusations of Beijing interfering in our domestic affairs and of hacking businesses and public institutions. Canada, Japan and South Korea, amongst others, have also seen economic pushback from China, allegedly for the same sort of political reasons. So we're not alone, but we are the most exposed. Australia is the most China-reliant economy in the developed world, with about a third of our exports going there. And to those important education and tourism sectors, Chinese nationals make up roughly 38% of our foreign students and 15% of our tourists. And we've reaped massive dividends where our country of 25 million could tap into the demand of 1.4 billion people to our north. And what's happened this year has brought that reliance on China into sharp focus. Experts say this isn't a new revelation to the government or our exporters. There's a lot of work going on to develop relationships with other countries. India is a big target for us. It's considered one of the emerging superpowers of the world and it's currently the world's third largest economy after the United States of America and the People's Republic of China. It's also a democracy, which makes things a bit easier for us culturally. We've also been schmoozing with Indonesia, Japan and South Korea. But with so much of our economy underpinned by the relationship into China that we already have, some experts say it's not as simple as finding a new market. No, but some experts think this year, not just because of the political differences we're having, but because of the coronavirus, it's a live action test for our economy. The students and tourists can't get here. And many of our imports from China and exports into China are delayed. And that means that our businesses need to diversify their customer base. So we'll see what that looks like when we emerge from the health crisis. And in the meantime, the political argy-bargy between our nations doesn't look like it's easing up anytime soon. And that's your shortcut to the Australia-China relationship. On to our recommendations. My recommendation is to have a read of President Xi Jinping's address to the Australian Parliament back in 2014. I found that the contrast between the language used then and what we hear in Chinese state media now is pretty stark and a good indication of that change in relationship. Yeah, things have changed a bit since 2014. (laughs) Mine is an account of the Whitlam visit to China back Mm. in 1971. It must have been very exciting to step foot into a truly foreign land in those days and to forge a new frontier. Links to both of those are in your episode notes. You can find a written version on thesquiz.com.au as well as all the other topics we've covered recently, aspects of the US elections, vaccines, the situation in Yemen, the status of aged care in Australia, to name a few. And if you're a new listener, you might like to check out our daily news podcast, The Squiz Today. It's an opinion-free look at the day's news headlines in under 10 minutes, out each weekday at 6am. Until next time. <laughs>